Well, you have. You are now tuned in to Marcus Rays. You just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darnetta has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Yo, 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 Far Away family, this is your host Kyle, and you are now tuned in to the sickest audio show in the galaxy, Star Wars Audio Archive. What's up, guys? I hope you are ready to bring your cool factor, because this episode is going to be off the hook. I've got a wave of excitement for you all. Get ready to shred the Star Wars universe like a pro. In the previous weeks, we got the party started, but now it's time to step it up a notch. This episode is going to be jam-packed with mind-blowing energy. So grab yourself something to drink as we plunge into the Star Wars universe like a skydiver. Then let's do this. Malgus stared at the hollow transmitter, now dark, on which he had communicated with the freighter. The freighter that had a Jedi aboard. Torn, he thought of Alina, of Lord Duras, of Angrel of the flawed empire that was taking shape before his eyes and how it fell short of the empire as it should be. An empire congruent with the needs of the Force. They will be clear of the convoy shortly, Commander Jard, said Lieutenant Mack, the bridge weapons officer. Malgus watched the freighter dance among the now separating ships of the convoy, trying to hug what vessels it could as it skipped toward Coruscant. He thought he should shoot it down and hope that the death of a Jedi over Coruscant would destroy the peace talks and restart the war. He should do it. He knew he should. I think he's going to try to make the planet, Jard said. Why doesn't he just jump out? Members of the bridge crew shook their heads at the pilot's foolishness. Were he wise, he would have jumped into hyperspace and fled. His need to get to the planet outweighs the risk of his getting shot down. Malgus said, intrigued. All this for spice, Jard said. Perhaps it is the Jedi's need that drives them. Curious, Jard observed. Agreed. With difficulty, he let curiosity murder temptation. Get close enough to use the tractor beam. There is more to this than mere spice running. Yes, my lord. Mulgus tapped the earpiece and reopened the channel with Darth Angrel. What is happening there? Angrel asked, his tone perturbed. Mulgus offered a half-truth. A spice runner is trying to get through the blockade. Ah, I see. Angrel paused, then said, I have received a communique from our delegation on Alderaan. The mere mention of the delegation caused Malgus a flash of rage. A flash that almost caused him to reconsider his decision to capture rather than destroy the freighter. Angrel continued. Instruction. A member of the Jedi delegation has left Alderaan without filing a flight plan and without reporting her intent to her superiors. The Jedi have reason to believe that she may be heading to Coruscant. Her activities are unauthorized by the Jedi Council, and she is to be treated no differently from the Spice Runner you are pursuing now. She? Malgus asked, eyeing the freighter on the view screen, recalling the woman he had seen in the vid screen. This rogue Jedi is a woman? A human woman, yes. Erin Lanier. 
Her actions, whatever they may be, are not to be attributed to the Jedi Council or the Republic. The Emperor wants nothing to affect the ongoing negotiations. Do you understand, Darth Malgus? Malgus understood all too well. The Jedi delegation told Lord Beris of this rogue Jedi. They sacrificed one of their own to ensure that the negotiations continued smoothly. Master Darnala herself, as I understand it. Malgus shook his head in disgust. He felt a tiny hint of sympathy for Aaron Lanier. Like him, she had been betrayed by those she believed in and served. Of course, what she believed in and served was heretical. If this Jedi does attempt to reach Coruscant and she falls into your hands, you are to destroy her. Am I clear, Darth Malgus? Yes, my lord. The freighter broke free of the convoy into open space and flew an evasive path toward Coruscant. Perhaps the pilot thought to escape in the planet's atmosphere. Engage the tractor beam, Commander Jard said, and Malgus did not gainsay the order. He cut the connection with Angrel. He had disobeyed an order taken the first step down a path he had never before trod. He still wasn't sure why. There was nothing between Fat Man and Coruscant but open space, and that meant fire would be incoming. Aaron watched the distance to the planet's atmosphere shrink on her scanner. She sat hunched, braced against the plasma fire she knew must soon come. She thought they might make it until Fat Man lurched and lost half of its velocity, throwing Aaron and Zirin forward in their seats. What's that? Aaron said, checking the instrument panel. Tractor beam, Zirin said, and pushed down hard on the stick. Fat Man dived, her nose facing the planet, and Aaron could see the night side of Coruscant. The lines of light from the urbanscape like glowing script on the otherwise dark surface. The ship was not accelerating. Alarms wailed, and Fat Man's engine screamed, battling with the tractor beam, but losing decisively. The cruiser started to reel them in. Cursing, Ziri cut off the engines, and Fat Man's reverse motion increased noticeably. Through the canopy, Aaron watched the distant stars move past them in reverse. She imagined the cruiser's landing bay opening as they approached, a mouth that would chew them up. She cleared her mind, thought of Master Zallo, and readied herself to face the Sith Lord and whatever else she might find on the cruiser. She reached into her pocket, traced her fingers over the single stone she'd brought from Alderaan, the stone from the Nautilan calming bracelet Master Zallo had given her. The cool, smooth touch of it helped clear her mind. I'm sorry, Zirid, she said. I was coming anyway, Erin. And you didn't get me caught. I got you caught. And anyway, don't apologize yet. His hands flew over the instrument panel. No Imperial tractor beam is holding my ship. I have to get back to Volta. And my daughter. He ratcheted up the power to the engines, though he didn't yet engage them. The ship vibrated as Zirid backed up the power and held it just before the exchange manifolds. 
a river of energy gathering behind a dam. What are you going to do? Aaron asked, though she suspected she knew. Shooting this cork out of the bottle, he said, and diverted more power to the engines. He made as though he were shaking a bottle of soda water. Get yourself strapped in, Aaron. Not just the lap. All five points. Aaron did so. You could tear the ship in half, she said. Or the engines might blow. He nodded. Or we might break loose. But for that to work, I need to get oblique to the pull at the correct moment. He checked the scanner. You're not so big, he said to the cruiser. His even tone and steady hands did not surprise Aaron. He seemed to thrive under stress. He'd have made a decent Jedi, she imagined. She checked the distance between the cruiser and Fat Man, the speed the beam was pulling them. You have five seconds, she said. I know. Four. Do you believe that's helpful? Two. He tapped another series of keys, and the engines whined so loudly they overwhelmed the alarm. One second, she said. In her mind's eye, she imagined Fat Man snapping in two. Imagine she and Zerid perishing in the vacuum, their dying sight pieces of Fat Man flaming like pyrotechnics as they cut a path through Coruscant's atmosphere. And we go, Zerid said. He twisted the stick leftward at the same moment that he released all of the pent-up power into the engines. The sudden rush arrested the backward motion of the ship, and Fat Man bucked like an angry rancor. Metal creaked, screamed under the stress. Somewhere deep within the ship, something burst with a hiss. For a fraction of a second, the ship hung in space, perfectly still. Engines wailing, their power warring with the tractor beam's pull. And then, Fat Man tore loose and streaked free. The sudden acceleration pressed Aaron and Zirin into the back of their seats. Fire alarm sounded. Aaron checked the board. Fire's in the engine compartment, Zirin. He was talking to himself under his breath, handling the stick, watching the scanner, and might not have heard her. He's right behind us, Zirin said. Get into the atmosphere, she said. That cruiser has no maneuverability outside a vacuum. We can ditch somewhere, get lost in the sky traffic before they can dispatch a fighter. Right, he said, and slammed down on the stick. That man dipped her nose, and Coruscant once more came into view, tantalizingly close. Smoke wafted into the cockpit from the rear, the smell of seared electronics. Aaron? I'm on it, she said and started to unstrap herself. Chemical extinguishers are in wall mounts in every corridor. On the main screen, Mulgus watched the freighter's engines flare blue. The ship shook loose of the tractor beam's noose and dived toward the planet like a blaster shot. A murmur went through the bridge crew. Pursue him, Commander Jard said. The helmsman engaged the engines and accelerated after the freighter. The tractor has failed, my lord, Commander Jard said to Malgus, checking the command readout. We will have it up again in moments. Malgus watched the freighter open some distance between it and the cruiser, and made up his mind. He had crossed a line and started down a road when he had first engaged the tractor beam. But the time was not yet right to walk farther down that road. 
He could not afford to let the Jedi, Aaron Lanier, get to Coruscant. Lest Angrel start to perceive motives in Malgus that Malgus would not yet acknowledge in himself. No. They'll be in the atmosphere in a moment. Shoot them down. Very good, my lord. Jarn looked to the weapons officer. Weapons free, Lieutenant Mack. Jarn looked to Malgus. Shall I alert the planetary fighter wing, my lord? That shouldn't be necessary, provided Lieutenant Mack does his job. Very good, my lord. Red lines from Valor's plasma cannons filled the space between the ship. The fire so thick that the lines seemed to bleed together into a red color. Aaron got halfway out of her seat when an explosion rocked the ship. Batman lurched, and Aaron fell to the floor. Back in your seat, Zirid said. Weapons are hot on that cruiser. Aaron climbed into her seat and got the lap strap on. The moment the buckle clicked into place, Zirid went evasive. Coruscant spun on the viewscreen as Batman spun, wheeled, and dived. The red lines of plasma fire lit up the black of space. Zirid went hard right, down, then left. The ship knifed into the atmosphere. Turn everything but the engines and life support to the rear deflectors. Aaron worked the instrument panel, doing as Zirid ordered. Another explosion rocked the ship. The deflectors aren't going to take another one, she said. Zirid nodded. The orange flames of atmospheric entry were visible through the canopy. Plasma bolts knifed over them, under, to the left. Zirid cut Batman to the right as they descended, risking a bad entry that could burn them up. The smoke in the cockpit thickened. Asks? <laughs> Aaron asked, coughing. There! Zirid responded, nodding in a ship's locker between their seats. Aaron threw it open, grabbed two masks, tossed one to Zirid, and pulled the other one on herself. You've got the stick, Zirid said while he pulled on his mask. Aaron grabbed the co-pilot stick and continued Fat Man's spiraling descent toward Coruscant. Fire from the cruiser hit the ship on the starboard side and caused the freighter to spin wildly. Aaron felt dizzy sick. I have the stick, Zirid said, his voice muffled by the mask. He got the spin under control and drove Fat Man almost vertically into the atmosphere. The cockpit grew hot. Flames engulfed the ship. They must have looked like a comet cutting through the sky. Too steep, Aaron said. I know, Zirid said. But we've got to get in. The unrelenting fire from the cruiser struck the freighter again, the impact shoving them through the stratosphere. The flames diminished, vanished, and Coruscant was once more visible below them. We're through, Aaron said. Without warning, the engines died, and Batman went limp in the air, spinning, falling, but with no power. Zirid cursed slammed his hand against the instrument panel, trying frantically to re-fire them, but to no avail. They can still hit us here, he said, and unbuckled his belts. I got nothing but thrusters. Get to the escape pod. The cargo's here, Ed. He hesitated, finally shook his head and unbuckled her straps. Forget the cargo. Move! She stood, and another bolt hit Fat Man. An explosion rocked the rear of the ship. Another. They were going down. Alarms wailed. The ship was burning, falling through the sky. 
As near it, hit the control panel to engage the thrusters and keep the ship in the air. For the moment, at least. They are dead in the air, Lieutenant Mack announced. Drifting on thrusters. Commander Jard looked to Malgus for the kill order. Wrath, too, looked on with interest. The freighter hung low over Coruscant's atmosphere. It limped along on thrusters, trailing flames from its dead ion engines. They could rope them back with the tractor. Shoot them down, Malgus ordered. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Wrath smile and cross his arms over his chest. Explosions in the rear of Fat Man started to spread. The secondary explosions working their way forward in a series of dull booms. They would never make it to the escape pod. Aaron activated her lightsaber. Grab hold of something! What are you doing? Getting us out! What? She did not bother to explain. Bracing herself and holding on to her seat strap, she stabbed her blade through the transparisteel of the cockpit canopy and opened the gash. The oxygen rushed out of the cockpit while the pressure equalized. Their masks allowed them to breathe, despite the thin atmosphere. The cold startled Aaron. She used her blade to cut a door out of the canopy. The thin air whipped by, whistling. We're 50 kilometers up, Aaron, Zirin said his voice rising for the first time. The velocity alone! She grabbed him by the arm and gave him a shake to shut him up. Don't let go of me, no matter what. Do you understand? No matter what. His eyes were wide behind the lenses of his mask. He nodded. She did not hesitate. She sank into the force, cocooned them both in a protective sheath, and leapt out of the ship and into the open air. The wind and velocity tore them backward. They slammed into the ship's fuselage and whipped through the flames pouring out its sides. At almost the same moment, plasma fire from the cruiser above them hit Fat Man dorsally, and the ship exploded into an expanding ball of flame. The blast wave sent them careening crazily through the sky and set them to spinning like a pinwheel. For an alarming moment, Aaron's vision blurred and she feared she would lose consciousness. But she held on to awareness with both hands and fought through it. Zirid was shouting, but Aaron could not make it out. Her stomach crawled up her throat as they plummeted, spinning wildly toward the planet below. Her perspective alternated crazily from flaming pieces of Fat Man to Coruscant below, to the sky above, and the distant silhouette of the Imperial cruiser to Fat Man again. The motion was pulling the blood from her head. Sparks blinked before her eyes. She had to stop the spinning or she would pass out. She made her grip a vice around Zero and used the force, first to slow, then to stop the spin. They ended up hand in hand, passing through clouds, falling at terminal velocity toward Coruscant's surface. Malgus watched the freighter disintegrate into flaming debris over Coruscant. He expected the faint touch of the Jedi's Force signature to disintegrate with it, but he felt it still. Magnify, he said, leaning forward in the command chair. The image on the viewscreen grew larger. Chunks of jagged steel and a large portion of the forward section of the ship burned their way toward the surface. 
did an escape pod launch before the ship exploded? No, my lord, Jard said. There were no survivors. But there had been. The Jedi, at least, had survived. He could still feel our presence. Though it was fading with distance, a splinter in the skin of his perception. He considered dispatching fighters, a search party, but decided against it. He was not yet sure what he would do about the Jedi. But whatever it was, he would do it himself. Very good, Commander Jard. Well done, Lieutenant Mack. He turned to Wrath. You are done here, Wrath Sizor. Wrath shifted on his feet, swallowed, cleared his throat. You mentioned the possibility of payment, my lord. Malgus credited him with bravery, if nothing else. Malgus rose and walked over. He stood twenty centimeters taller than Wrath, but the smaller man held his ground and kept most of the fear from the slits of his eyes. It is not enough that you've killed a rival and destroyed the end spice your employer wished to prevent reaching the surface. I did not. Malgus held up a gloved hand. The petty squabbles of criminals hold little interest for me. Vrath licked his lips, drew himself up straight. I brought you a Jedi, my lord. That was her on the hollow. So you did. Will I... be paid then? Malgus regarded him coolly, and the small man seemed to withdraw into himself. The fear in his eyes expanded. The knowledge that he was a lone prey animal surrounded by predators. I am a man of my word. You will be paid. Wrath let out a long breath. Thank you, my lord. You may take your ship to the planet. The coordinates will be provided to you, and I will arrange for payment there. And then I can leave? Malgus smiled under his respirator. That is a different question. Wrath took half a step back. He looked as if he had been slapped. What does that mean? I will not be allowed to leave. No unauthorized ships may leave Coruscant at this time. You will remain on the planet until things change. But, my lord... Or I can blow your ship from space the moment it leaves my landing bay. Wrath swallowed hard. Thank you, my lord. Malgus waved him away. Security escorted him from the bridge. After the chaos of the cockpit, the quiet of the fall seemed oddly incongruous. Aaron heard only the rush of the wind, the steady thump of her heartbeat in her ears. Zirid's fear was a tangible thing to her, and it fell with them. She felt free, exhilarated, and the feeling surprised her. To the east, Coruscant's surface curved away from them, and the morning sun crept over the horizon line, bathing the planet in gold. The sight took her breath away. She shook Zirid's arm and nodded at the rising sun. 
he did not respond. His eyes stared straight down, ironed to the magnet of the planet's surface. Aaron allowed herself to enjoy the view for a few seconds before trying to save their lives. The drag increased as the thin air of the upper atmosphere gave way to the thicker, breathable air of the lower. Below them, Coruscant transformed from a brown and black ball, crisscrossed with seemingly random whorls of light, to a distinguishable geometry of well-lit cities, roads, skyways, quadrants, and blocks. She could make out tiny black forms moving against the urbanscape, the ants of air cars, speeders, and swoops, but far fewer than ordinary. Plumes of smoke traced twisting black lines into the air. Large areas of galactic city lay in ruins, dark lesions on the skin of the planet. The Empire must have killed tens of thousands, more perhaps. The wind changed pitch, whistled past her ears. She fancied she heard whispers in it, the soul of the planet sharing its pain. Her clothing flapped audibly behind her. Below, she could distinguish more and more details of Coruscant's upper levels, the lines of skyscrapers, the geometry of plazas and parks, the orderly straight lines of roads. She let herself feel the descent and used the feeling to fall into the force. Nestled in its power, she marshaled her strength. She pulled Zirid toward her. Unresisting, he felt as limp as a rag doll in her hands. She drew him to her, under her, wrapped her arms and legs around him. Ready yourself, she shouted in his ear. Not if you understand. His head bobbed once, tense and rapid. The buildings below grew larger, more defined. They descended toward a large plaza, a flat trapezoid of duracrete with stratoscrapers anchoring each of its corners. I will slow us, she shouted, but we will still hit with some force. I will release you before we hit. Try to roll with the impact. He nodded again. She lowered her head, angled her body, and tried to use the wind resistance to create some slight motion forward rather than entirely downward. The ground rushed up to meet them. They passed through the ring of sky rises, plummeting past the roofs, windows, balconies. Given the hour, she doubted anyone saw their descent. She reached out with the force, channeled power into a wide column beneath them. She conceptualized the power as somewhat similar to what she would use when augmenting a leap, except that instead of a sudden rush of power to drive her upward, she instead used the power in a gentler, passive fashion. She imagined it as a balloon, soft and yielding at first, but providing ever-increasing resistance as they fell farther into it. They slowed, and Zirid shifted in her grasp. Perhaps he did not believe it. Pressure built behind Aaron's eyes. An ache formed in her head. The balloon of her power slowed them further. She could see benches in the plaza, a fountain. She could distinguish individual windows in the sky rises around them. They were 500 meters up and still falling fast. The pressure in her brain intensified. Her vision blurred. The ache in her head became a knife stab of pain. She screamed, but held on. Held on. 400 meters. 300. They slowed still more, and Aaron feared she could not bear any more. 200. 
A second stretched into an eternity of pain and pressure. She thought she must burst. Hang on, Aaron, Zirid said, his voice muffled by the mask. He was rigid in her arms. Fifty meters! They were still going too fast. Twenty! Ten! She dug deep, pulled out what power she could, and expended it in a final shout. An expulsion of power that entirely arrested their descent for a moment. They hung in the air for a fraction of a second, suspended only by the invisible power of the Force and Aaron's ability to use it. And then, they were falling free. She released Irid, and they both hit the Duracrete feet first. The shots of impact sending jolts of pain up Aaron's ankles and calves. She rode the momentum of the fall into a roll that knocked the wind from her and tore a divot of skin from her scalp. But she was alive. She lifted herself to all fours, every muscle screaming, legs quivering, blood dripping from her scalp. She tore off her mask. Zirid? I'm all right, he answered, his voice as raw as old leather. I can't believe it, but I'm all right. She sagged back to the Duracrete, rolled over onto her back, and stared up at dawn's light spreading across the sky. The long, thin clouds painted with the light of daybreak looked like veins of gold. She simply lay there, exhausted. Zirid crawled over to her, cursing with pain throughout. He peeled off his mask and lay on his back next to her. They stared up at the sky together. Is anything broken? She asked him. He turned to look at her, shook his head, looked back at the sky. Ugh, if we get out of this, I'm becoming a farmer on Dantooine. I swear it. She smiled. I'm not joking. She held her smile. She began to chuckle. Louder. And the chuckle turned into a laugh. She could not help it. A wide smile split her face, followed by a chuckle, and then she joined him in full, both of them giggling hysterically at the dawn sky of a new day. Wrath's hands sweated on Razor's stick. Despite Malgus purporting to be a man of his word, Wrath felt certain the Imperial cruiser would shoot him from space after he exited the landing bay. For a moment, he considered veering off deeper in system, accelerating to full to get out of Coruscant's gravity well, then jumping into hyperspace. But he did not think he would make it. More important, he feared that even if he did make it, Malgus would hunt him down on principle. Vrath knew that Malgus would do it, because Vrath would have done the same. He looked into the Sith Lord's eyes and seen the same relentlessness he tried to cultivate in his own. He would not cross Malgus. He let the ship's autopilot ride the coordinates provided to him by Valor into Coruscant's atmosphere. It would put him down in one of Galactic City's smaller spaceports, probably one commandeered by Imperial soldiers. Presently, the spaceport hailed him and sent him landing instructions. He affirmed them and sat back in his chair. He resolved that he would not leave Razor once he put down on Coruscant. He wanted no further interaction with conquering Imperials. He wanted only to wait until peace negotiations on Alderaan were concluded 
however long that might take, and then get off Coruscant. Malgus knew Aaron Lanier had somehow survived the destruction of her ship, and he suspected she had survived the descent to Coruscant's surface. He did not want Angle to learn of her escape. Such knowledge would be premature. He would need to track her down. To do that, he needed to determine why she had returned to Coruscant in the first place. I will be in my quarters, he said to Commander Jard. If anything requires your attention, I will alert you immediately. When he reached his quarters, he found Alina sleeping. Her blasters, tucked into their holsters, lay on the bed beside her. She slept with one hand on them. He watched the steady rise and fall of her chest. The half-smile she wore, even while sleeping. She had shed the sling on her arm. Staring at her, he acknowledged to himself that he cared for her. Deeply. And that, he knew, was his weakness. He stared at her and thought of the Twilix servant woman he had murdered in his youth. He realized that his fists were clenched. Shaking his head, he closed the door to the room in which Alina slept and started up the port comp at his work desk. He wanted to learn more of Aaron Lanier. So he linked to several Imperial databases and input her name. Her picture came up first. He studied her image, her eyes. She reminded him of Alina, but she looked different from the woman he had seen on the vid screen on Valor's Bridge. The change was in her eyes. They'd grown harder. Something had happened to her in the interim. He scrolled through the file. She was a Force empath, he saw. An orphan from Balmora, taken into the Jedi Academy as a child. He scrolled deeper into her file, and there found her motivation. A picture of Master Ven Zalo stared out of the screen at Malgus, a day-old ghost. Aaron Lanier had been Master Zalo's Padawan. Zalo had raised her from childhood. He scrolled back up to Aaron's image. Back then, her green eyes held no guile, no edge. He could tell by looking at her that she left herself too open to pain. Her force empathy would have only increased her sensitivity. He leaned back in the chair. She had felt her master die, had felt Malgus drive his blade through him. That was what had changed her. Changed her so much that she had abandoned her order and rushed across space to Coruscant. Why? He saw the faint reflection of his own face in the comp screen superimposed over hers. His eyes dark and deeply set in the black pits of his sockets. Her eyes green, soft, and gentle. But not anymore. They were the same, he realized. They'd both loved, and their love had brought them pain. In a flash of understanding, he knew why she had come to Coruscant. She is looking for me, he said. She would not know she was looking for him because she had no way to know who had killed her master. But she had come to Coruscant to find out, to avenge Zalo. Where would she go first? He thought he knew. He inhaled deeply, tapped his finger on the edge of the desk. 
she was hunting him. He admired her for that. It seemed very unlike a Jedi. Of course, Malgus would not sit idle while she sought him out. He would hunt her. Holy moly, that was intense. I can feel the energy floating in the air. It's like the force is all around me. Can you feel it? That is what happens when you listen to the Old Republic stories. It gives you an exhilarating feeling. It's almost like a Mandalorian using a jetpack for the first time. And now I think that it's time that we get to the quarter of the week. And it comes to us from Benjamin Franklin. He said, without continual growth and progress, such words as improvement, achievement, and success have no meaning. In life, we are constantly striving for success. And these words hold a significant relevance in our pursuit. Imagine for a moment if you were to remain stagnant, never pushing ourselves beyond our comfort zone, never challenging the status quo, and never striving for improvement. In such a scenario, the words improvement, achievement, and success will lose their significance. They would be rendered empty and hollow and devoid of real meaning. We are wired for growth and progression. It is in our DNA to constantly seek new ways to improve ourselves. We are driven by a relentless desire to achieve our goals and make a meaningful impact. Without this consistent drive for growth, these words would simply be empty and void of any substance. Think about the journey you have been on so far. It has likely been filled with challenges, setbacks, and failures. But it is through these experiences that we have learned to adapt and grow. It is the progression we have made, the improvements we have implemented, and the achievements we have unlocked that has given meaning to our pursuit of success. Without continual growth and progress, we would be stuck, devoid of innovation and creativity. Our lives would be stagnant, and our potential for success would be severely limited. It is only through pushing ourselves to constantly improve, to achieve new milestones, and to strive for greater heights that we can truly experience the fulfillment that success brings. But let me be clear. This quote is not about relentless pursuit of materialistic gains. It's not about a never-ending race for more profits and bigger market shares. Rather, it speaks to a deeper, more profound concept of personal and professional development. It is about a constant quest for self-improvement, the pursuit of excellence, and the continuous evolution to our lives to meet the changing needs of the world around us. It is also worth mentioning that growth and progression is not always easy. They often require us to step out of our comfort zone, to take calculated risks, and face failures head-on. But it is through these challenges that we learn, grow, and ultimately achieve success. So let us constantly strive for improvement, chase achievements, and define our success through the meaningful progress we make. Let us not settle for mediocrity and compliancy, but instead push ourselves beyond the perceived limitations and unlock the true potential that lies within us. And that's all I have for this episode. Join us next week as we journey through Chapter 10 of this phenomenal story. I know it's going to be filled with even more excitement. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archive. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Kenai Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and it was distributed by Sway Cast Network. Star Wars The Old Republic Deceived was read to you by Jason Ordega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host Kyle and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs>